This is Macro Horizons, episode 201, Yuletide Bonds, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of December 12th. While there are technically three more trading weeks left in 2022, for all intents and purposes, the week ahead will offer the final trading sessions of macro relevance before I and my kerchief and Ben and his cap will join the rest of the market for a proverbial or literal nap. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market and a bad joke or two. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to keep the show as interactive as possible. So that being said, let's get started. In the week just past, the Treasury market put in a remarkably bond bullish performance with 10-year yields getting to the 140 range and a move that was admittedly exaggerated by the low liquidity trading conditions. What made the price action so interesting was the fact that there was no obvious catalyst for the rally. Moreover, there is reasonable consensus around the upcoming Fed rate hike at 50 basis points with presumably a hawkish skew. Although it's a downshift from 75, it's still not a modest move in the policy rate. In the week just passed, it was also topical to consider what continued strength in the equity market would do to the monetary policy objectives of the Fed. Now, it goes without saying that the FOMC is actively attempting to tighten financial conditions across the system. This follows intuitively given the magnitude of their hikes. But when considering the impact of a steady increase in equity prices, it's not lost on us that the market is effectively easing financial conditions at the exact moment when the Fed is attempting to tighten them. As a result, if the market starts 2023 with a continued bounce in U.S. stock prices, this would create a backdrop in which the Fed might ultimately need to move policy rates into higher territory simply to achieve the same amount of tightening in financial conditions that they might otherwise have done with fewer hikes. To be fair, this is unlikely to be the defining macro narrative in the year ahead. However, it is something worth keeping on the radar as we continue to watch the fluctuations in the equity market. Next year's bigger themes will be two key debates. The first debate will be in determining whether or not the Fed has in fact created the ever-elusive soft landing, or if they've over-tightened and we're in for a much more severe recession. Now, we're reminded that both hard landings and soft landings tend to appear the same in the beginning of the process. It isn't until there's greater clarity from the economic data that we're able to assess the depths of the damage done to the overall economy. So in pondering the inflection point for the debate of hard versus soft landing, it goes without saying that we won't have a good skew on that until we're into the second half of the year. The other debate is 
in the eventuality that we do have a hard landing, how should we expect the FOMC to respond? Our take is that they will be far more hawkish than the market is anticipating. And this will take the form of the resilience in their commitment to keeping policy rates on hold for longer than we have seen in prior cycles. Recall that there is a significant mismatch between the operative timelines of the FOMC and that of the market. Said differently, investors are very interested in how the real economy performs over the course of the next several quarters, whereas the Fed is looking ahead decades and contemplating the ramifications of losing the assumption of price stability. Said differently, above all, the Fed will ensure forward price stability in the U.S. economy, even if it does come at the cost of a significant recession. This isn't to suggest that the market won't test the Fed's resolve, but at the end of the day, it does become a legacy issue for Powell. Well, coming into this week, there was not a great deal of expectation for, frankly, anything to happen. We had an ISM services print, but that was after payroll, so marginally less important. And of course, Friday's PPI data, as well as the UMISH sentiment index. So not top-tier data, especially given that this was a week where we got no Fed communication, and the market was definitely in wait-and-see mode before next week's highlights in the form of both November's CPI print and, of course, the final Fed meeting of 2022. While yes, that was the expectation for the trading week, the market had other plans, and instead what we got was the next leg of a dramatic repricing in treasuries that saw 10-year yields decidedly trade below 350, reaching 340, and more notably for our call, Ian, twos tens reached negative 85 basis points. And for those of us, aka you and I, who have aspirations to see this benchmark curve reach negative triple digits... There's only 15 basis points to go. Only 15 basis points to go, and we have the ideal week ahead in which such a move is almost inevitable. Now, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to invert another 15 basis points, but we could easily see 15 basis points in either direction on the curve, as well as in outright rates. We do have the FOMC decision, as well as Powell's press conference. Expectations are for a 50 basis point rate hike and laying the groundwork for a higher terminal policy rate via the updated dot plot. All else being equal, this is the perfect backdrop for front-end yields to continue grinding higher. The one offset is, of course, we do have supply on Monday and Tuesday, including $32 billion in 10-year notes, as well as $18 billion in 30s. All of that being said, the November CPI numbers will most likely set the tone for trading in the Treasury market for the next month. And unlike some of the Fed meetings we've gotten this year, the uncertainty on the size of the rate hike isn't really in question. In his comments last week, Powell almost went as far as to confirm the rate hike is going to be of the 50 basis point variety. And while yes, an upside surprise in CPI might lead the market to price in the tail risk of 75, if the chair's conviction was any indication, the bar for that to take place is very, very high. Instead, and as you touched on, Ian, what's going to attract the most focus is going to be the shape of the dot plot. And I intentionally used the word shape there instead of simply where terminal lies, because in addition to the uncertainty of whether terminal is going to be projected with an upper bound at 5%, 525, 550, or even something higher, is going to be the spread between the median 2023 and 2024 dot, 
which will be one of the first real indications that the Fed is going to give the market in terms of framing the discussion about how it is they're thinking about rate cuts, both in terms of timing, but also in terms of magnitude. In our December pre-NFP survey, it's worth reiterating that the consensus expectation is for roughly 75 basis points of easing reflected between the end of 2023 and 2024, which is certainly keeping with the fine-tuning idea that we saw in 2019. But particularly following CPI, the question is going to become if the Fed wants to telegraph a higher for longer policy bias, as we're expecting that they do, there's certainly the risk of fewer rate cuts penciled in between the end of 2023 and 2024, so a narrower spread than 75 basis points. Now, of course, the dot plot's actual forecasting ability is dubious at best, to put it politely, but that won't prevent the market from trading off the information that the Fed reveals, and if, in fact, a higher terminal rate is going to be set out, that certainly holds the potential to push the curve even flatter into the end of the year. And in keeping with the theme of the trajectory of the dot plot, We anticipate that the Fed's objective as 2023 gets underway is that once terminal is established, whether that's 5% or 525, that they want to keep that in place for 18 to 24 months. The reality is, however, we don't think that they're able to maintain terminal for that long. Realistically, the best that Powell can probably pull off is a stable policy rate into the first or second quarter of 2024. Now, of course, this is all going to be contingent on the performance of the real economy, specifically whether the increase in the unemployment rate occurs gradually enough to allow inflation to moderate at a pace that doesn't imply that the Fed has overdone it or has overshot. As we contemplate what the Fed might do in the event that the unemployment rate is stubbornly low and inflation is stubbornly high, if they don't want to deliver another rate hike or two, it's notable that conversations regarding selling mortgages out of SOMA have become a backburner issue. Now, when we think about what's been the primary driver of higher core inflation, it comes down to shelter and the housing sector. And while the Case-Shiller index shows that the three-month annualized rate of home price depreciation has reached negative 18.4%, the reality is OER and rents continue to drive core inflation. So fast forward to the middle of next year, if shelter costs are stubbornly high, there's a compelling argument to be made for the Fed to top up the amount of monthly runoff that they have already committed to via the process of outright sales. Another potential for the FOMC to be increasingly hawkish next year without hiking rates comes in the form of more specific forward guidance as to what it would take for them to cut rates. Recall that the Fed has used thresholds in the past. Now, in the past, those thresholds were used to signal dovish intentions, but there's nothing to prevent the Fed from using them on the hawkish side. It's not difficult to envision a situation in which the Fed introduces language in the FOMC statement to the effect of they will keep terminal in place until either the three-month annualized rate of core inflation dips below a certain threshold and or the unemployment rate increases above a particular target. 
while this isn't necessarily our base case scenario, it certainly is something that is on the radar as we contemplate 2023 and all the risks associated with it. And the bulk of the conversation thus far has been centered on how the committee is going to try and reinforce their hawkish commitment and containing inflation at all cost. And while we certainly view that as the more likely scenario, it is worth discussing what the dovish risks might be. And if we see a similarly underwhelming November CPI report to what we saw in October, if the Fed will be more willing to sound cautious and cognizant of the impact that their tightening campaign is having. Remember the speech that Powell gave at the Brookings Institute was traded very dovishly from the market's perspective as Powell's acknowledgement that the Fed doesn't want to overdo it and that slowing hikes will be appropriate reflects the idea that the committee is not going to just keep delivering 75 basis point hikes on a preset course. So while yes, the dot plot is going higher, they've told us that much, if we see, say, a 5% upper bound terminal reflected in the 2023 dot, accompanied by a wider spread between those 2023 and 2024 dots, combined with a similarly more measured tone from Powell at the press conference, given what we've seen in terms of the market's eagerness to trade the dovish pivot, there is certainly the risk that that would be a fairly significant bond bullish impulse, and in terms of the shape of the curve, a steepening one as well, especially considering just how far we've flattened over the past several weeks. So in this environment, 340 10-year yields would probably give way pretty quickly, and then we're going to be talking very quickly about 325, or frankly, even the likelihood of a two-handle in the 10-year sector at some point early next year, once the balance sheet restrictions associated associated with the calendar turn have abated. Now, while we still think that effective Fed funds will serve as something of an anchor to prevent the Treasury market from rallying too far, at the end of the day, 10-year yields are already below effective Fed funds, and come Wednesday, presumably there'll be an additional 50 basis points below effective Fed funds. So as we think about the upcoming quarter, it is worth highlighting the conspicuous absence of one of the key investor bases for U.S. Treasuries, namely Japanese buyers. In fact, the Japanese buyer base has been actually a selling base for the last 12 to 16 months, with the exception of last week, which was was the first time that they purchased on a weekly basis since October and the largest flows into overseas notes and bonds since August. The number was $3.9 billion, and while this is not exclusively treasuries, we're operating under the assumption, particularly given the price action, that the vast majority of it was. As we look forward to April and May, which is the beginning of the fiscal new year in Tokyo, what we anticipate is a revisiting of the prudence of buying treasuries. Now, this is very typical for the way this investor base operates. And at that point, presumably, we will see some further stability in the yen, even a reversal of the underperformance as we have more clarity from the Fed in regards to the terminal rate and their intentions to hold it there for an atypically long period of time. Let us not forget that as we have made the rounds and talked to a variety of different investors, the parallels between what the Bank of Japan did in the early 90s and what the Fed risks right now have been highlighted. Specifically, the BOJ was especially hawkish during that period, 
that sounds familiar, triggering decades of deflation that the Bank of Japan has been struggling with. Now, positive inflation is back in Japan, and monetary policymakers in Tokyo are surely happy about this development, unlike the rest of the world. But as we consider the motivation of this investor base, we'd be remiss not to highlight the fact that those parallels are relevant, if nothing else. And while, yes, CPI and the Fed are definitely going to drive the vast majority of the price action over the next several days, we do also get a look at November's retail sales data. And retail sales is always relevant, yes, but especially at this point in the year, given the holiday shopping season is upon us. And after the inflation that the consumer has had to deal with this year, the ability and willingness to continue to spend aggressively into the end of the year is going to be especially informative as the departure point for the state of household balance sheets going into 2023. We've already seen anecdotal evidence and in the hard data as well with initial jobless claims that the labor market is unquestionably strong but softening slightly. And so strong consumption into December would bode well for the Fed's ability to stay on hold for longer, given that the economy would be on comparatively stronger footing. The inverse logic also holds. A meaningfully weaker than expected consumption read would call into question the ability of the overall economy to withstand the Fed's policy tightening and introduce the risk of a more material slowdown in 2023. Still too soon to call that a base case, but retail sales will nevertheless provide some valuable macro context, even if the response in rates is going to be a derivative of what we hear from Powell on Wednesday afternoon. So what you're saying is that Powell has the power to save Christmas? Unfortunately, no Santa Paws this year. In the week ahead, it will, for all intents and purposes, be the final trading week of 2022. First up, we have the three-year auction at $40 billion on Monday, followed by the 10-year auction of $32 billion on Monday afternoon. Supply is capped on Tuesday afternoon with 18 billion 30 years, and the auction schedule is condensed and skewed early, so there is a safety day on Wednesday between the final auction and settlement on the 15th. We also see the update for CPI in November. The consumer price index is seen increasing three-tenths of a percent, as is the core series, also seen increasing three-tenths of a percent. In the event that the core comes in as forecast, this will be consistent with the peak inflation narrative and also reinforce the idea that the peak for 10-year yields is in for the cycle. Certainly a sentiment that we can get behind, and given the fact that 10-year yields touch 340, we suspect that we're not alone in this take. While we maintain that the inflation figures will set the tone for the balance of the year, we'd be remiss not to give a nod to the FOMC rate decision on Wednesday. Expectations broadly are for a 50 basis point rate hike. We could see a case for 75, depending on how the core inflation data prints, but all else being equal, 50 will be the default position. We also hear from Powell, who will help frame the rate hike, and manage expectations for any potential downshift going forward. It's consensus at this point that in the event that core CPI doesn't surprise on the upside, the Fed will transition to 25 basis point rate hikes in 2023. That certainly resonates with us, although there's nothing to suggest that the Fed can't keep moving at half point increments in the event that core inflation remains stubbornly high. Within the Fed's series of publications, we will also see the updated 
projections for the dot plot. We are looking for an increase in the terminal rate assumption for next year to the range of 475 to 525. Frankly, from the Fed's perspective, there's probably little difference between the upper bound of the terminal being 5% and the upper bound of the terminal being 525. But that isn't to imply that it will not be a tradable event if the Fed chooses to skew terminal higher in 2023 and 2024. As we've already discussed, the relevance of the spread between 2023 and 2024 is important. A narrowing of the spread is our base case assumption, and I would say that's probably pretty consensus as it implies that the Fed will follow through, or at least attempt to follow through, on expectations rates will be higher for longer. Also within the SEP, we will see the unemployment rate update. The September numbers showed a 4.4 unemployment rate by the end of next year, followed by a 4.4 in 2024. We anticipate that these numbers will be skewed higher, in part because the Fed does need to up the ante on terminal, and in doing so, monetary policymakers will surely concede that greater demand destruction will be necessary to ensure price stability going forward. Other highlights will be the GDP projections. We're assuming that a downward revision to 2023 is in order. However, we'd be very surprised to see anything below zero in this regard. A trend lower in inflation is the baseline assumption, although we're not particularly convinced that any adjustment needs to be made in that regard to the SEP. And just a final note in terms of tradable events, we'll be watching on Tuesday morning after the CPI numbers come out, particularly if they are a surprise in either direction, for any press leaks that will help further refine expectations for the Fed to deliver either 50 or 75 basis points on Wednesday. Again, our default position remains 50 basis points. However, an upside surprise in core could change the market's perception of the Fed's intended timeline for a downshift to 50. We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. A few friendly reminders as office holiday party season approaches. Ugly sweater is in the eye of the beholder. There may be a better venue to voice your frustrations to upper management. And of course, the time-tested classic, nothing good starts after midnight. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy effort as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. So please email me directly with any feedback at ian.lingen at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.